On this episode of the Aka Education Podcast, Justin speaks with Charlie Arthur, vocal percussionist and arranger extraordinaire about some of the tools needed in your back pocket to grow successfully in this wonderful thing we call acapella. From high school beginnings in Centerville Forte to performing worldwide, Charlie shares wisdom and knowledge he has gained along the way. Let's get ready. It's time for some Aka Education. It's the Aka Education Podcast. The Aka Education Podcast. How to Hey everybody, it's Justin Glodish and welcome to episode 14 of the Aka Education Podcast. Here with me this week, I have Charlie Arthur. He's been performing since he was a young age. He's been involved with many musical ensembles, theatrical productions, short films, middle school dance battles that he could seek out. He discovered his love for contemporary vocal music when he joined Centerville's Forte, the award-winning high school acapella group in Centerville, Ohio. In Forte, Charlie received national recognition as a vocal percussionist, and he began arranging, recording, producing, performing, and teaching vocal music. Over the last six years, these experiences have sent him across the United States, Canada, the Caribbean, and the city of Moscow, workshopping and performing for vocal groups, as well as sharing his zeal for music and human connection. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Charlie Arthur. How are you doing today, Charlie? Doing so well. The big one four. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you very much. Now, um, Centerville's Forte, you know, that was your group in high school. They're one of, in my opinion, they're one of the more well-known high school acapella groups in the country, you know, and Ohio seems to actually be a really strong place for acapella music for high schools. You know, you have Centerville, you have Kettering Fairmont, you know, you even have Wright State um, in their, you know, camp acapella. Um, could you talk a little bit about how you got involved in acapella to begin with? Sure. Yeah. And and to quickly comment um, on the idea of uh, Ohio being a hotspot, I think that that really does come down to uh, kind of the people in leadership positions there. There are just a really strong uh, crew of directors who have re- really put decades uh, into their craft and, and really care about their students and their programs. So it, it reflects uh, when you look at it, uh, zoomed a little bit further out. But to answer your question, I, yes, I've been singing and, and performing and, and just being involved in, in arts and, and creativity uh, for as long as I can remember. But I joined choir in third grade. Um, and I remember distinctly getting a, a note from my choir director. Um, rather, I guess, everyone in the choir got the note to uh, sing as loud as Charlie, but ideally a little bit better. <laughs> um, so I just kind of took that confidence and tried to apply it to uh, any anything that, that seemed uh, intriguing. And um, yeah, I, I guess that, that brought me through, you know, band and, and orchestra uh, and, and also choir and uh, kind of as you go up further and further uh, in, in education, you have less and less time to just kind of do everything. Right, um, and and so I, I focused mostly on choir uh, in high school and beyond, and um, that's when I uh, yeah joined Forte. They they came to my middle school uh, choir class when I was in eighth grade and sang "I Have the Tiger," and we had sung some um, you know contemporary pop repertoire, but uh, not really without instruments to this capacity. And honestly, Forte at the time when I was in middle school was still sort of a jazz choir, like they would perform. Uh, 
with an accompanist on the piano uh, sometimes and some sometimes acapella as well. But um, this was around the time that leadership changed hands into um, their current director, uh, Mr. Ben Spaulding. And so he really wanted to just go straight ahead with the contemporary acapella route. And uh, that inspired me uh, to audition. I had been doing beatboxing uh, just kind of for fun with my friend Alex O'Neill, who now goes by Gene. Um, and we, uh, yeah, we, we just did it. We watched YouTube videos and, and, and really didn't think much uh, of it in terms of our, our personal or professional lives. It was just something fun to do. But when this group, uh, I guess, opened up slots for, for beatboxers, um, we, yeah, we, we both auditioned at the same time. And um, I got in as a sophomore. He entered in the next year and we both uh, were vocal percussionists. And, and that just took, took me on this crazy journey because, again, like I said, really, really passionate, uh, committed director, wanted to get the group out in front of as many people as possible and then pull in as many exciting opportunities um, as possible. And, you know, through that, I was able to attend uh, festivals like So Jam and uh, meet a lot of really influential people who inspired me to continue running with this acapella, this acapella passion of mine. And, and so outside of high school, uh, I immediately started uh, what would hope to be a, a professional group, you know, within weeks of graduating. Uh, and then did that several more times over the next few years while I kind of bopped about. I, I lived in Rochester, New York at, at a, a recording studio there um, for, for a few months and then uh, started doing cruise gigs with the Cat's Pajamas. And it just kind of get, kept getting more and more um, complicated and, and beautiful and eventually brought me out to LA, um, which is where I was right before moving to where I am now in Oregon. It's nice. kind of a yeah, it's like a it's a it's a crazy web, but um, that's I've 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 accepted that I accepted that pretty early on because if I try if I try to go through every detail, it it becomes uh, it becomes an epic, like <laughs> at least in terms of length. And I would rather right. keep it more as a novella. No, that's fair. Um, now you actually said that uh, when uh, Ben Spaulding had taken over, he kind of shifted focus from what you essentially said was a vocal jazz group into a contemporary acapella group. I don't know about you, um, cause you you're involved in the industry and you might workshop with different um, schools and whatnot. Are you seeing a trend where vocal jazz is slowly kind of being kind of replaced in the high schools by contemporary acapella or is it more of a, a 50, 50 balance? Um, I, I feel like there's a lot more contemporary acapella high school groups uh, popping up nowadays um, with a lot of the popularity um, happening. Yeah, um, I think it depends on region, but mm -hmm. I will say the I think your guess works out if you swap out jazz choir for show choir. Show, show choir, yeah, exactly. Um, I, yeah, I was uh, right before uh, everything everything changed this year. <laughs> uh, I was actually touring the Midwest, going to high schools, uh, some middle schools, and and even elementary and preschool. Maybe not preschools, but um, going to a number of different schools across the Midwest uh, to help raise money for the music education programs with the Cat's Pajamas, something that they do every year, ideally. Um, and yeah, we we saw very much what you described. There were there were some um, schools that still held on to their show choirs, um, but for the most part, uh, a lot of them had transitioned over um, and, and have been exploring contemporary acapella, especially as more and more resources become available to those groups, like uh, sheet music from from people that gets published and then just kind of passed around uh, really easily. Um, I don't know. I, I personally would love to see jazz choirs uh stay as a mm -hmm. like a pillar of the community just because the the rudiments there um are not uh taught 
or really put into practice in a lot of contemporary acapella settings. Um, and I think that they are very transferable, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's been, it's been a, it's been a juggernaut, I think contemporary acapella, especially for the high school scene in the last five to 10 years. And, uh, I'm really grateful that I came into it at the time that I did when it was still very much ramping up. Right. Um, it, we'll, we'll see where it goes, especially with, you know, every, everything that I, I don't even need to comment on at this point, but like, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's been a really fascinating explosion of, of acapella culture. Right. Now you have said that, you know, you have been, uh, you started out with vocal percussion, you sang in your high school acapella group, you've toured across, uh, on cruise ships, you've toured across the country, you do production, you do all of these different things. Um, and trying to, we're trying to get into the point where we're trying to build a toolkit for the educators out there. And there's a lot of important tools that are out there. Um, for you, what is the most important tool that you feel that folks should have if they want to start a career uh, in the acapella industry or just get a toolkit up, up and running? You know, I'm glad you asked this, Justin. It just so turns out that, uh, in my opinion, the most important thing that you can have access to, the most important tool you can have as an as someone who wants to do acapella full-time is not the most important software. It's not the hardware. It's not even a good voice. Uh, it really does come down to your network because at the end of the day, acapella is a collaborative art form. And so many people are trying to figure out how they can lend their voice to the community, whether it's through actually singing or doing production or um, you know, any, anything across the, down the line, there, there's so many different ways to get involved, but being in the know about where these communities lie and then putting yourself in these communities, making friends and, and building those relationships will get you that much closer to putting out your own content or finding people to work with on content. Um, so yeah, like uh, you can, you can do your own thing, um, and be a solo acapella performer as well. But, uh, if all goes well, I would imagine that through that you will end up coming into contact with more people. And that that's just the type of thing, especially now in the digital age that will get you further along in this, in this whole journey is being able to have people's stamp of approval to share with their friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there, there's so many things you can develop, but the network is just an indispensable tool. And I think it's important to note that, uh, and as far as the acapella world is concerned, the networking is, uh, is key because you and I were talking before this and it turns out we have, you know, we know somebody together who performed in the group with uh, cat's pajamas at one point, but I knew him when he lived in Ithaca. Um, and there's, there's a, it's a very small world. It's like almost like six degrees of Kevin Bacon, but six degrees of the acapella world in a, in a sense, like if you know somebody, chances are they know somebody that you also know. Um, and speaking of that, you actually, uh, work right now in Oregon with, uh, with Peter Hollins, YouTube star, Peter Hollins. And, um, you know, I've seen a lot of his videos. I kind of actually, when I was teaching elementary school, you know, back 10 years ago, I was playing Peter Hollins videos for my students to show them, you know, difference in arranging style and just to give them an opportunity to hear songs that they knew done a different way. So, um, how do you, how does that work, um, with your, uh, collaboration and, uh, and partnership with Peter Hollins. I also learned about uh, Peter's channel and and kind of his efforts pretty early on. We ended up uh, singing one of his charts, one of his arrangements uh, when I was in Forte of I See Fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, uh, yeah, a really formative experience to, uh, for me just because um, 
Peter Peter gets a lot of uh, his arranging done by Tom Anderson, and and Tom just puts out stellar stellar work, uh, kind of time and time again. And so to be able to uh, gain access to something like that early on really lit a fire underneath me. Um, and I had no idea that it would kind of you know come come full circle in the way that it has. But um, fast forward to now, and uh, I guess we'll say the summer of 2018 is when I started doing work for him. And at the time I was just um, an independent contractor. Uh, it kind of, so I, we have a, a mutual friend. And, and again, I, I feel like when I'm explaining these types of things, I have to do a lot of backpedaling just because so many <laughs> random things have happened. And I met so many different people that have helped me in so many different ways that um, you just, you just want to be able to help connect the dots for some people or for everyone. Because if you, if you don't, it seems really disparate when at the end of the day, it's actually very, very clear cut how it all right. came together. Um, but I'll keep it short. Uh, I have a friend, David Fowler, who I sang with in a group called Evoke. And uh, in the cat's pajamas, although it wasn't for the cat's pajamas, it was, it was for a sister group of that group called Vocal Overdrive. Um, and so we knew one another and had performed together. And he got a job working full time for Peter Hollins. And uh, I was still living in LA at the time. And he reached out and asked if I could do a, a quick arrangement edit uh, for a project that they had been working working on. And, um, and so I, you know, went to the local coffee shop and just kind of, uh, made, made it happen. And, uh, that went well and that kind of turned into, okay, well, if that, if there are no issues here, we can give you kind of some, you know, base baseline, easy concepts and see kind of what you do with them. We may or may not post them, but you know, um, we'll give you a shot. And so, uh, I got two, two commissions, um, and fulfilled them as a, again, an independent contractor. And, uh, again, from there, uh, just by being as, you know, personable and, uh, as diligent as I, I could, the, the request just kind of kept coming. And so I did a number of projects over the, the course of that year and into even the next. And, I guess that that happened for around a year and a half. Um, time is very weird, and I don't understand right. it. But that happened for around a year and a half, we'll say. And uh, a little ways into this year, I moved to Eugene area in Oregon last October. It is so like a little over a year ago, and uh, or I guess it was last September. I don't even know. Facts are facts, right? Maybe we'll see. Anyway, I moved. It's that time thing. It's just yeah. the it's the concept of time. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Who, who does anybody even know what time it is? Uh, so yeah, I moved to Eugene because I wanted to be closer to LA. I had to like, I was in LA, like I said, and I had to make a quick pit stop in Ohio to help out with some family things, but I wanted to be back on the West coast really badly. And I realized that there was a, a nice opportunity to be close to the studio uh, and not be too far away from LA and also not be paying LA prices for housing, which are yeah. less than ideal. Uh, so I did that. And then a few months later, uh, you know, in, in that time I had gone in a few times just to say hi and um, answer some specific questions, lend some gear. Uh, and it just kind of developed and blossomed into this offer to come in even more frequently. Um, I haven't been in as much as one would under normal circumstances because of course uh, COVID and I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, but I've kind of graduated from just doing arrangements to uh, being more involved across the entire production cycle. So um, there are so many different steps that go into making a, uh, an acapella video and 
and Peter, Peter's uh, videos are no different. They have to go from, you know, conceptualization and ideation into uh, a lot of like planning and, and just kind of like checking with the rest of the team to make sure all of the ideas make sense and, and are feasible into arrangement, into arrangement, arrangement revision. And then there's session work and, you know, pre-production recording, editing, mixing, mastering video, you know, like planning, video shooting, video editing, and then all of the license. Like there, there's so many different steps into it. And uh, I feel like being here, I'm getting little bits and pieces of all of those with the exception of maybe video editing. That is still something that is foreign to me, but especially like the latter half, everything through like once, you, it kind of stops at audio mixing because again, he has a really strong dedicated uh, list of people that he goes to um, to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Names I'm sure you would recognize, but, but yeah, it, it really is just kind of a team effort figuring out what each project needs um, and what we have access to internally in order to make that happen. And then from there, it's, it's just kind of being fun and fancy, fancy free, just being as curious and as creative as you can and trying to apply ideas that will register to large audiences. Uh, and it's been, it's been really weird. <laughs> it's, it's the type of thing that, you know, you, you can't even, you can't even ask for yourself because it doesn't, it doesn't make, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem like a realistic goal. And yet, right. Here we are doing the thing. Mm -hmm. And I am so grateful as you should. And I hope that answered your question. I don't know. Again, like I said, it does. I'm actually, I'm looking through, um, you know, the YouTube playlist of the arrangements that you've worked on and the projects that you've worked on. And, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, a lot of views, let's just say, you know, millions and millions of views, you know, you have Peter Holland's quarantine song, you know, right at the beginning of uh, COVID, which was a fundraiser, Um, spooky, scary skeletons, which my kids won't stop listening to. Uh, Now (laughs) now we have this version, you know, there's a lot of great stuff on here that you have taken part in. So I, it leads me to the next question as an arranger, because um, I try and arrange as much as I can for my middle school group because there's not a lot of repertoire out there I'm finding for the middle school groups. Um, there seems to be an uptick in high school and collegiate arrangements, a lot of people doing commissions and things like that. But as an arranger, um, do you ever get like arranger's block, um, you know, like the writer's block of arranging? Um, how do you work around some of the um, troubles of arranging? Like, do you have like a little bag of tricks that you that you use? Yeah. So I think arrange, like arranger's block mm-hmm. is a step in every arrangement that I do. And I wouldn't even call it a step. It's just kind of a, um, it's kind of like the netting that makes up like the process of going through it. You just, you just have to kind of weave in and out of issues and, and, and the issues don't stay the same from project to project. Um, it's kind of just a matter of learning your workflow and knowing, uh, what each project needs and what you need in order to meet those needs. Um, again, that's very general and cryptic. So I can speak, I can speak more um, specifically about things that I see commonly. Um, and I think before we, before we really dig in, I want to say just like when I feel general arrangers block, when I'm just feeling frustrated, not because I can't solve a, a problem, but just because any any number of re, any a number of things can happen, you can just start feeling really distracted, or you can uh, maybe 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 you do want you know what you want, but you can't necessarily put it exactly into words, or uh, there's just like one note, like th- something that that happens pretty frequently for me actually, um, not necessarily with Peter, but with a, a lot of the arrangements that I do, I'll have picked a key really early on. Mm-hmm. And I'll go through a lot of the process and realize, dang it, I really need the bass to go to like the low five here 
but that's not going to happen with these range limitations, right. but I need it. Like it, <laughs> it's not, if I go up, it's going to sound really lame. I can like uh, reharmonize it, but it's not a jazz piece. You can invert it. And that is an option. And that's again, like coming into like some of the solutions, but you get into these spaces and you say, I just don't know what I'm going to do. Um, and the most common response that I will apply in those scenarios is uh, go around it, figure out all the things that are what you could say like mindless, busy work. A lot of this is like the transcriptive elements of arranging, mm-hmm. filling in syllables, adding in dynamics um, and, and other uh, rehearsal markings. Um, and that will make the entire process and the entire outline for the arrangement seem less ominous, seem less questionable. And suddenly as the fog clears around your issue, the issue seems smaller and smaller and more attainable and you are in a better emotional and, and mental place to approach those issues. So again, I know that that's not like a, a direct uh, like tool that you can find on your belt that you put in the, in the hole and hope it fits. Right. But um, I think you just want to make sure that you're in the right mindset to problem solve in general. Mm-hmm. And by pulling away the things that aren't problems, you can isolate them and not feel like, oh, well, the entire project is riding on me doing this. If I don't do this, I can't finish the rest of the chart and then it won't be done. And then... No, I, all, all of the things that come with that. I think I think that what you just said makes perfect sense. And it's really applicable to a lot of things in, in life, really. Like, I find it if I'm arranging and I'm focused on one thing, I have to move on from it and, and try and finish out and then not think about it for a while. Because then all of a sudden, boom, an idea pops in. I can go back to it afterwards. So, you know, I know some people think linearly, some think, you know, all discombobulated and they just kind of focus on little sections here and there, but no, what you said makes perfect sense in in how to approach it. And so I agree with that. Now, one of the other things that I, I have had issues with, and I know that some of my colleagues have had issues with when it comes to arranging is how it sounds as far as, you know, like I'm, I'm uh, in my mid thirties. I'm a male. I'm arranging for middle school voices, you know, some unchanged voices, you know, female voices, um, you know, treble voices. And I'm not sure how it's going to sound with them. So what are some approaches that you have for arranging when it comes to getting the right sound, hopefully for your group? Yeah, I've done a number of middle school arrangements myself and I do I do know what you're referencing. Um, again, it, it it does come down to the um, the individual client, like which group you're working with. But the best thing that you can do is compare it to something. Ideally, the group. Ideally, the most recent version recent version of the group. So, if you have contact with the director and can get um, videos of them performing, just so that you are not like when I, when I arrange and I arrange in finale, um, almost always the, the sound that I hear when I input a note on a page is a piano mm-hmm. and it is unwavering. It is merciless. It is simply itself and nothing else. Right. Um, and it's very difficult for me if I am sitting in silence for six hours, just playing piano on my computer over and over again, like by input inputting notes, um, to keep it in line with what I'm hearing. But if you have at least some reference, um, just so you can like play the voice in your head of either the soloist or um, just like the general feel for the group, anything to humanize that voice uh, and detract, like pull it away from what you see on the page. 
um, and just let that be its own kind of outline. Having having those references will make a, a, a huge deal. If you are on the uh, the techier side and you have access to uh, like pitch shift tools, that is something that uh, arrangers will commonly use just to get a little bit of a, a gauge. Um, at the end of the day, the range limitations are what they will be. And the more information that you have, the better in terms of not asking the singers to do something that they can't comfortably do. But as far as um, just writing lines that are singable, Mm -hmm. like uh, outside of the idea of range limitations, um, just having, having opportunities to sing through the lines yourself or use something like the acapella app or record things quickly into a DAW just to kind of test them out. Even if it's, if you have to sing them in a different key, like you could pull it down like a major third so that it, uh, like from what you have on the page so that it fits for your voice. And then if you just kind of do that mental math, you can pull it back up. Um, those, those types of things I think will get you a lot closer, but the, I think the instinct that you want to develop is have like a stock middle school voice in your head that you can access rather than just the piano or whatever reference instrument you use. If you use one. Great. Um, now, I might know the answer to this, but again, I've been wrong before. Um, and it probably depends on the client, but for your own personal preference, when it comes to arranging um, a song, do you focus more transcriptive, focusing on staying as close to the arrangement? Do you go more derivative? Do you kind of pull away and make it your own? Is it a hybrid? Um, what Which do you prefer and what do you see more um, preference from with your clients? Again, yeah, it, it totally depends on what the clients are looking for. Um, but I, I actually teach about this um, in my arranging class at Camp Acapella, and I've used this same uh, method of describing uh, arranging styles or arranging approaches at at least a festival, maybe. Either way, I split it into three categories, and two of them uh, are what you uh, labeled by name, Um just transcriptive arranging very much taking what you hear and putting it on the page. And um, I think that that tool uh, can be stretched a little bit to uh, also encompass uh, reorchestration, which is taking the same textures, taking the same lines. And even if you need to change the register um, so that it makes more sense for a human to sing, I would still consider that transcription because you're not necessarily, it, it all depends. The, con- the context, the context can, can obviously change these, but as a general rule, I would say if you're just saying, all right, the guitar is doing this. I want to capture that as closely as I can, even if it's not in the same octave, I would consider the transcription from there. You have derivative uh, arranging, which is um, doing that same thing, but then pulling from a number either pulling from a number of different resources. So like another song by the same artist, another motif, popular motif from the same genre, or uh, just changing something fundamental about the, the sound of the piece or the, the structure of the piece without pulling it way into an entirely different um, range. So like, this might not be the best example. We'll say, we'll say like, if you, if you slow it down slightly um, or if you change the form, if you um, like change the, the time signature in a way that isn't particularly invasive, like there, there's a, a cover of um, human nature that I really like uh, by the VJ ear trio. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, but they pull it into this like 13, eight, Oh, nice. Really crazy, crazy time signature. That's super fun and really, really bouncy, and 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 I think really encompasses the emotion of the piece. Um, and that th- those like more more minute changes um, that that don't 
fun- fundamentally alter the DNA of the song in a way to the point where it wouldn't be recognizable as the original, I think can be considered derivative. And then there's a step after that, which I call dismissive arranging, where you keep the solo and nothing else. Uh-huh. And you just say, all right, this is a, you know, this is a disco song. We're going to turn it into new funk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, what are, and, and, and I do see there being a very distinct through line between each of these steps. That isn't to say that it's like a, a tier system where or there's like anything hierarchical about it. It's more so um, just as you work through each of these steps, they kind of in a cir- circular manner reinforce one another um, and make each step again easier uh, as you as you go through it. So like re- transcription is, for me is just almost always where I'll start with projects unless I know the the group and the client and the vision well enough to be able to take it in a different direction. Because at the end of the day, I am still learning. I I consider myself young enough. uh, I think I will always consider myself young enough to know that I don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, And so any, any tools that I can, unless, you know, I'm arranging the same song for the third, fourth time, um, or I get like a specific request. Um, I want to take in this information because there are so many incredible musicians that have contributed so many things. And I want to, I want to feel it. I want to be able to say, all right, I took that apart and I put it back together. So while there is this, um, you could call it a stigma, um, like the, the code red Beelzebub's effect where like people say, is this really like, what, what's the point of this? Why wouldn't I just listen to the original again? Um, I, I think that, especially in educational circuits. It's, uh, it's an incredibly important to know the context, the history, um, and, and the fundamentals um, as they will all help you begin to develop your own style and make your own unique choices. Because again, like if you, uh, <laughs> if you didn't study all of these things and you just happened to make all the same uh, choices again, but not because you chose to imitate, just because that's where your knowledge took you. How how different is it to the uh, the uh, observer? Uh, and I know that that's like a fringe case, but um, they, these are all tools that will just uh, give you the opportunity to inject more of your personality more quickly into what you're working on. Yeah, uh, I think I think that no, it, maybe it, maybe answered. <laughs> you no, know, it totally answers it. And you know, and you bring up you bring up the great point that you know it really depends on the individual. So while you know we are speaking in generalities and generics about you know the different tools that we can put into this this toolkit that we're talking about, you know, it really depends on the individual to kind of branch off of that and make it their own. You know, and yeah. um, you know, a couple episodes back, I had a few arrangers on here who all had different styles and, you know, and, and your style is different than theirs. And again, it depends on the client. I've heard a lot of great transcriptive works, but then I've heard a lot of great works that like, it, it came out of nowhere, like um, Voices in Your Head did a great uh, rendition of We Found Love, uh, We Found Love, which um, I actually purchased that arrangement from Chris. And uh I had my old high school acapella group that I used to teach. uh, We did that, loved it. But even like Bad Moon Rising, you know, bringing in Avi Kaplan, that was another one that just kind of like blew me away. Very different, but really powerful in in the same sense. Um, I want to move on to the production side because like you're kind of another jack of all trades that I've had on this podcast and you just, you have so much going for you. And I know that um, we're going to get into like the COVID discussion. Every week has been like some sort of COVID discussion. When it comes to production, um, some of my some of my colleagues are now, you know, I've had people tell me, 
our, our administrators want us to make virtual choir videos, or they want us to um, make videos, uh, video productions for um, our musicals, or, you know, there's a lot of asking about this, this production aspect, because it's very difficult to perform in a enclosed space together at this point. So as far as production, from where you're at right now, how, um, how do you approach it? Like, what are some of the things that you do? Um, because I know that earlier you had said, here's a list of things I have to do or we do for Peter Hollins's projects. And yeah. you just listed off, uh, like I, it gave me like my brain went like, because as an educator, I don't think about that stuff. I'm like, okay, you record this, I'm going to throw it here and let's see what happens. But there's a lot more to it. So can you just give like a little brief uh, discussion about some of the things that you do that, uh, yeah, some of the things that you do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what I do, what I, what I like to, what I will, what I would say I do at this point is because I do, I very, I do very little just for myself at this point. Um, so what I, what I do mostly is try my best to help any group uh, or any artist along their production process for what they're working on um, in, a, in a way that not only gives them an end product that they like, but sets them up to be able to replicate it with something else in the future or have something that exists beyond that that they can take with them and then improve for themselves. And so, yeah, there, there are just so, so many different skills that you can develop to be a fully fledged acapellican um, in the, in the time I'll, I'll kind of brush over the live stuff for right now, because while it is helpful, I don't necessarily think this is the time to be hearing it. Right. But, but, um, you know, between even starting a group, like there, there are so, there's so many skills that are transferable from other industries, just in terms of like leadership, marketing, um, and, and anything, uh, like just, um, what's the word like yeah dele delegation just like getting uh, getting an understanding of what needs to be done getting that work in front of the people who can make it happen like that that is at its base level uh the the like root of all of these other pro processes um and as you yeah as you continue uh working around the outer kind of the outer layers the more specialist routes um you always come back through that center point of saying all right like who's the team what are the goals how do we make this happen within the time like how do, how do we just get it done um and from a production standpoint uh outside of yeah uh like live events or uh live performances or uh like management of a group that meets in a place um there are all of these different steps that come into making a track happen whether it's just the early like i said the early con uh, conceptualization just saying like all right so what is our goal why are we making projects why do we who are we reaching out to like what what do they want have they told us what they want if not uh who what do we like and who can we connect with that likes what we like so that there can be that back and forth. That's just one step. You go into, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of make a little bit of a leap, go into arranging, you know, um, who's it for? Uh, what can they do? How can you utilize what they do in order to serve this goal of performing this piece? Is it for competition? Is it for YouTube? Is it for any number of things? Is it just for fun? Um, from there, you, you know, you go into 
just the, the, the actual recording and production of it. So you have to set up sessions ideally. Um, and again, I, I, I want to be careful in describing this because I don't actually think that to make an acapella video, to be a successful acapella artist, you have to invest in production at all. Some of the most powerful performances that I see or like acapella videos that I see are just someone that found really nice lighting, natural lighting, a really nice acoustic space and just sang with themselves and, and, and uh, being able to capture that element, that, that pure unadulterated love for using the voice to externalize inner feelings that there's no button for that. There's no production tool that can make that happen. Um, so you can do all of these things that I'm describing, um, but at the end of the day, you want to you want to invest in that first and foremost because all of these other things are cosmetic. Right. They make it shinier, they make it more accessible, um, and they make it more acceptable within the current zeitgeist. But they do not make it more authentic. Right? I don't think um, that that question can be uh, reconsidered when you think about you know who's doing the work, what are they contributing, how does that turn it into something more fully fledged. But from the initial artist standpoint, you want to enter in with that sense of purpose because everything else is just going to amplify and or magnify it. And if there's nothing to amplify, the result is still zero. So you have these production elements, you have arranging, putting all of the notes on the page, getting it to the group. If you have to make a demo, that includes recording all of the tracks, maybe editing them if you don't sing in tune like me. Mm. Um, sorry, don't sing in tune as I also do not sing in tune, not don't sing in tune like I sing in tune. Uh. I wanna be very clear about that. <laughs> um, yeah, and then just like slight uh, uh, post-production. So like the the, the three elements that I, I heard when I was first understanding, you know, like how to get a track ready um, to just like, if there, if there were any things that you would put on post-production after recording, what would they be? Uh, EQ, compression, and reverb. And there are, there are, again, more to that, but like that's the, if you need to just be quick and, and just like get it out and, and have it kind of stay in line with everything else. Like that's, th there are those things. And then, oh man, <laughs> going into video production, this is something that I'm, I'm starting to learn about now as well, even though the video editing side of it um, isn't, uh, isn't something I've had time to play around with. There's, um, you know, developing like shot lists, generating prop lists, finding all of the things that you need, costuming, makeup. Like it's, it, it really is a full production. Even if you're not on a stage with an audience, all of these things you put in front of a camera and you can, you can generate such otherworldly uh, experiences for audience members just by finding, you know, the right costume or making sure that it's uh, lit in, in the appropriate way. So it, it really just comes down to um, asking yourself uh, how, like, what does this need? How can I make this better? What are the issues? And it, more, more often than not, um, there is a tool that you can access to solve that. And also a person with the skills handy to utilize that tool to make it happen with you. Um, so again, that kind of feeds back into this idea of leveraging your network um, and, and being vocal, no pun intended, enough about the things that you want uh, to have happen so that those ideas don't fall to the wayside because there just wasn't the, the experience or the you know, like some, some groups want to edit in Melodyne, but they can't fork over the several hundred dollars in order to make that happen. And so again, um, 
you can learn as much as you can about all these things because over time, you know, they all do pay for themselves um, if, you, if, if you invest the time to learn them uh, and to implement them. Um, but you, you, will, uh, you, can, you can also just as easily go down the route of uh, being good at what you do and being good at connecting with the people that do what they do well and working as a team. Right. I think you should actually write a book about all of this because like there's a lot of knowledge here. I want to go back to one thing that you had mentioned about um, you mentioned the word cosmetic and uh, in terms of, you know, dressing up, dressing up what your group already does in a sense. Um, I feel like this year with the pandemic and a lot of us, you know, being home and students recording from home and that's how some of these videos are being made. The cosmetic aspect really I don't know. I, I feel like it's not necessary because it takes away from what the students are doing. Um, I, I know that if I were to make a video um, of my students, I would try and stray away from like a lot of the extra stuff because I would like it to be as natural of a performance as possible. I know that when I was in my college group, when we, we did recordings, we tried to make it as close to a live performance as possible in sure. studio where I know that there's, there's different, you know, uh, trains of thought as to how, you know, recordings should go. You know, um, I remember having a con, uh, a conversation with Ted Drabinsky once um, who said, you know, I love you really should totally use as much, you know, reverb, use as many different effects as possible, make it as, you know, original as possible and kind of stray away from the human voice because in essence, you're creating something from just the human voice and you can give it this, this great flavor, you know, and then, you know, a lot of my friends from their college, like, no, it needs to be as, as close to the original as possible. You want people to hear what they hear when they see you live. And I'm not going to argue which one's, which better than the other, because I like both versions either way. Um, but as far as the cosmetic portion of it, especially in during this time, you know, it's, it might be a struggle for some, some people to kind of handle that. You mentioned Melodyne is, you know, is a pretty penny and uh, trying to add all these extra layers to get your group to sound good when we should focus on the, the fundamental part of it, you know, you know, teaching them, you know, proper technique and things like that. That way, that stuff might be, you know, might not be needed in the long run, you know, maybe a little bit of like reverb EQ here and not like, Oh, we'll fix it in post and just hope to hope to God that the engineers um, and you're smiling. I feel like you've heard that before. We'll just fix it in post. Uh, I heard that three times today. Three times today. At least. See, at least just <laughs> so it's not just me. I, I know that people use that a lot. Um, I, uh, I had one more question for you and it was actually really uh, just, you know, checking in on, on you. How, how are things going during uh, the pandemic for you? I tried to extend that wind sound as much as I could um, just so that you could kind of get a feel for the like ghost town that is my heart and soul as I navigate, as we navigate through this, because I remember um, hearing, uh, I just, I have a lot of friends who keep their ears low to the ground and as they should being, you know, music educators, they want the best for their students and, and, and for their industries. And so they, 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 prompt a lot of discussion about what all of this means and what we're really looking at. And I've heard some pretty devastating figures um, that have changed and, 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 you know, gone up and gone down as people do what they do. And um, yeah, it's really worrying um, 
prior to COVID, I felt like live performance was um, a critical element of my uh, the me- the means of working through emotional processing for me. I, I I just know that as a person, I don't forgive myself for feeling things that I don't feel like people want to feel when it's not their time to feel them. Mm. But when you're on stage as a storyteller, you're trying to convey these emotions to make people feel them as they've asked by being in that space. And so kind of a lot of the, a lot of the chains fall away and you can be that much more authentic and you can dig that, that deep because that's, it's, it's, there's this agreement with, with the people there that you're going to process this and work through it together. And, and, and being without that is really tough for me and, and, and I imagine a lot of people um, there. I certainly keep myself busy, um, but I, I also am doing acapella at least 40 hours a week, which is so, again, so weird um, and, and not the case for a lot of people. Um, and so I know if this, if that weren't the case and, and I were in the same position that I were in a year ago, but I uh, couldn't perform live, I would feel completely hopeless. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say there has been, like you said, a, a kind of a, an explosion of digital content, mm-hmm. um, for better or for worse, uh, in terms of e- execution. But the important thing is like, <laughs> I'll pull a kind of a, a weird analogy here. I, I, I go down YouTube rabbit holes as I'm sure we all do. And at one point, uh, I was watching this, um, this channel where this guy would play, he like designed or, or uh, kind of like piloted this evolution simulator where you have like these, these like no, these nodes, just like little dots with lines and you can make them like turn into like muscle groups and like behave and like try to go as far as they can. And you like say like over, you know, however many generations, like how can we, how can we get this to do this thing without actually acting on it? Just like based on where it starts. And, and that, that makes me feel really hopeful about the future of a digital acapella because so many people are putting, throwing their hats in the ring. Now there are just so many more opportunities for success to happen. And those big successes do rise up and like rise up above the noise and make themselves known and inspire the entire community. So again, while, while my, my heart goes out to all the people who made their living performing live um, or um, felt like made, made their, uh, emotional quota, you know, performing live. Um, I think that we are as a collective trying to find ways to instill that in the digital medium. Mm-hmm. Um, like there, there, I, I see a lot of like, you, you could call them like, uh, digital, um, like open mics, you know, or, or, or just anything where, where, um, you you have a bunch of people that are just coming on and performing to their screen, um, but there there is I you know in a lot of cases people there who are, are supporting them and doing their best to be humans together. Right. Um, and then and then there are even some groups that are uh, working on innovating the the digital medium to you know reduce the latency problem that makes being in an acapella group di- uh, at a distance just near impossible. Um, I've seen some really interesting uh, solutions come from groups like Business Casual, um, and uh, and uh, I know 
uh, there are groups like Impact and Six Appeal that have really technically minded people uh, in their team and are and are are racking their their brains and making making the most out of this. Um, and so, while while it is hopelessly bleak, um, just seeing kind of the the general uh, air of live acapella performance and and what that might look like for the next few years, um, I I'm excited nonetheless because I know that people aren't quitting they're not giving up if anything they're making more content right um and and that just tells me that you know like people acapella in 2015 i don't think was spreading in live venues like i mean they're like pentatonics was doing their tours and, right. and all the groups that tour were doing their tours but people were finding out about it because it was online right so if more of it goes online more of it, people find out about it and that directly translates to a better live industry once that becomes safe mm-hmm. so yeah just just to summate i i think it's i think it's um a really uh, trying task that we've been put up to but i think we're handling it with grace and i think we're gonna make it i do too <laughs> and I, I and i think that the the creativity and thinking outside the box is is um, is really showing, uh, especially in our community. Uh, just this past weekend, I know that um, the Pipeline Vocal uh, Trio from Alaska they had yeah. a nice, nice like living room concert um, on Acaville Radio, and then Ball in the House did a free concert um, for viewers online as well. So people are, are putting the content out there to be heard, and um, I am seeing a lot more of it. And I think it's really just coming down to we're tired of of sitting sitting down, just kind of waiting for something to happen. We're, we're getting up and we're doing something about it now, you know? Um, and the, I, I said that was the last question, but my l- real last question now is because I'm viewing this great Spotify playlist that you shared with me. It's called Acapella That Blows Minds. And I'm looking through half these uh, songs and I'm not, I have half these songs on my playlist already because I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm big in, into acapella, obviously. I'm going to host a podcast about it. So um, sure. I have to know um, who do you have a specific arrangement or group that you really hone in on um, that you just love, like kind of like stands out above the rest. That name has changed um, over the years. I made this playlist when I was in high school and uh, I used to be, I used to listen to almost exclusively acapella music. Mm -hmm. Now, now I I consider myself a little bit more well-rounded, but, or, or at least I, yeah, more, more spread out from a musical standpoint. But um, the group that throughout that entire time has never made me feel like I had any reason to step away, to not give my full heart to them uh, is the real group. Nice. They're just, I mean, they, they exude professionalism and, and, and confidence and they're so daring with what they do. And, and I'm a sucker for big band music as well. So hearing some of their like Count Basie stuff, just you're not, you're not seeing a lot of groups uh, attempt those types of orchestrations, that type of reduction. And, and it's things like that, knowing that you can take like a 20 something piece, big band or more fit, like it could be twice that big uh, and reducing it to five voices, including VP tied into the bass. Right. Like that's the type of thing that inspired helped helped inspire me to make projects like doing like snarky puppy where you have like you know 11 to 13 people uh doing like full-on jam band stuff and you reduce it to you know six voices like it's it all comes down to 
accepting that there is a suspension of disbelief and then just meeting that with the confidence uh, that that people understand the source material enough that are performing that they can fill in the blanks. And if uh, musically those blanks aren't filled, um, the the personality, the individual personalities of each person will make it feel complete. Um, so yeah, I, I really love the real group, but, but, but I have so many groups that are on my list um, and it would take, it would take, it would take a very long time to get through that. But yeah, I'm going um, to share this playlist. This playlist is approximately nine hours long. So like, there's a lot of great voices in here, but I mean, the real group, I love that you brought them up. I had the opportunity to see them in Salt Lake city a few years back. Um, I conducted an all County festival last year where we actually pulled one of their arrangements for the group. And uh, we actually got uh, Morton uh, to actually make a video for the group to, you know, wish them luck. And uh, they're a great group of people. They're a great group that's been around for many, many years. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I have no, I have no quarrels with that, sir. So I, I totally agree. Uh, Charlie Arthur, it has been a pleasure uh, to speak with you this week and um, I wish you all the best. And uh, thanks for joining us on the Aka Education Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. We'll be right back. Hey everyone, this is Justin from the Aka Education Podcast here to tell you about Anchor. Anchor is what I use to create these podcasts and let me tell you, it's free. Uh, There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And the beauty of it is we'll distribute the podcast for you. So I can record on Anchor and it's gonna send it to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all these other places as well. And I love that I can make money from this podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So be sure to download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Episode 14 is done. I'd like to take a moment to thank Charlie Arthur for joining us this week on the podcast. Be sure to check out the links in our episode description for different resources that we discussed during today's episode. Check us out on social media, Aka Ed Podcast. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and on Facebook. Be sure if you haven't done so already to subscribe to this podcast so you can be notified when a new episode is posted every week. We're on Spotify, we're on Apple Music Podcasts, and we're also on Anchor. You can also now check us out on Akaville Radio, akaville.org. And last, if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for the podcast, be sure to email me at akaedpodcast at gmail.com. I'm Justin Glodish. I'll see you next week.